Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is... Welcome to Skylines, the City Metric podcast. I'm John, and as I speak, even at this very moment, voters in six of England's city regions are going to the polls to elect the very first metro mayors, which is, you know, a big day for us, you know, and I'm sure, you know, I I imagine that many of you out there are are excited about that too, either because you too really believe in, in the metro mayor cause, or possibly because you just think that means we're finally going to shut up about them. Anyway, we don't know the results yet. We won't know those till uh, Friday. It's Thursday afternoon now. But nonetheless, uh, I'm dragging Stephen Bush and Patrick McGuire from the New Statesman Politics desk so we can make some bad predictions later. Before we get to that, though, we are going to do something completely different. And uh, I'm going to speak to the Guardian tech reporter, Alex Hearn, about driverless cars. So hello again. You 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 came in to tell us why the hyperloop wasn't going to happen, and uh, now now we're talking about self-driving cars. Are, are they going to happen? I mean, to a certain extent, they have already. In that, I've sat in a car going round Mountain View in California, and it has driven me on its own with no one touching the steering wheel. So. For for some definition of self-driving cars, they're already there. They're already on the streets. Um, the, the the problem with that car, obviously, is if you told me I had to use it for all of my transportation and that I wasn't allowed to touch the steering wheel, I would not be entirely confident I would survive. Because okay. they, right now, they're good, but... Self-driving cars, you know, Google's self-driving car has never, has had one accident that it's caused itself uh, and been in about 10 other accidents. But that's partially because Google's self-driving cars right now are built with the ability to take over if you see an accident coming and just don't drive all that often. They Their total mileage is, I think, something like 9 million miles, which is a lot. It's driven far, but it, it is a tenth of the average number of miles driven per fatality in the US. So already you can't look at a self-driving car, a Google self-driving car and say, you have definitely driven more than we would expect you to drive per single death. 
So those low figures are actually not as flattering as they sound. And yet, right? It's a car that's driving itself. Like, ten years ago, you would not expect someone getting in a car and not touching the steering wheel to successfully go nine million miles without dying. You would expect them to either go zero miles without dying because the car stayed still, or to die shortly after because they didn't touch the bloody steering wheel and the car hit something. Like, it's still impressive. It, It really exists. It is really on the roads. And regardless of whether or not it is living up to claims that have been made about it, and regardless of when it will, it's undeniably impressive today that, that this exists to the extent it does. How quickly do you think it's going to start becoming a factor in our lives? That's the more interesting question for me, right? There are so many, so many assumptions that we need to make before we can answer it. So one of the big ones is whether or not Google's vision of a self-driving future or Tesla Motors' vision of a self-driving future is more accurate. Google's vision is uh, going for what is known in the industry as level five automation. Uh, Level five being on a scale of naught to five how automated a car is. At level five, a car never needs human oversight and does not in fact have any tools for a human to take over the driving. that's, That's the dream. That is, you sit in a pod and you tell it, take me here, and it does. When I went to speak to X Labs, the Google's sister company that develops these cars, back in August, they felt that that was the only safe goal because they felt that the problem is anything short of level five automation and you are telling someone to be prepared to take over in the case of emergency or in the case of a change in driving conditions. And the problem is if you sit someone in a car and you tell them most of the time, This car will drive fine, but you need to be aware and take over in case of emergency. What they actually do is have sex in the backseat, watch a movie on the laptop, or just get pissed. Because that's what people are like. Um, I mean, I I was thinking you were going to go completely the other way, because I'm (laughs) fairly sure that if someone told me, in the 99.9% of the time, this car is going to be fine, but just occasionally, it may drive you over a cliff. I am never going to do anything but sit staring at the... I will not listen to the radio. I will not make conversation. I will just be absolutely rigid the whole time. Are you saying that I have unusual levels of anxiety here? I I think so, John. You might want to see a professional about that. But no, like, Google knows this because this has already happened. They went back when it was Google that was testing these cars before they rearranged into Alphabet. Um, Their very first models of self-driving cars could only really drive themselves on the highway. So they were about as advanced as Tesla's uh, autopilot, which is in the hands of consumers, is now. It could only drive itself on the highway. It was essentially a fancy cruise control plus lane assist. It would drive forward, not hit the car in front of you, and stay in lane. Not really much more than that. Even so, even that was the limitations of it, and even given the fact that you know these were Google employees testing a Google car, knowing they were being monitored, they were still caught repeatedly not paying attention to the road because this is what happens if you put someone in a car that starts driving itself. They, it's, it's human nature. They get distracted, they trust it, and they let it take over a bit. They, they take their attention off. But that was then. And in the months since, Google Alphabet X Labs has spun off the self-driving car division to a new company called Waymo. And Waymo seems to have slightly different priorities. They've partnered with Chrysler which indicates that they're bringing their plans forward a bit they have discussed 
not just level five automation as an end stage goal, but several other closer things that they might want. And so it looks like the world might be heading towards more a Tesla goal. And the Tesla goal is uh, one where these automation features are safety. They are on a scale which already includes things like automatic braking and cruise control. Those will still, those are here, firstly, autopilot is here. It is in a huge number of Tesla Motors cars. It is probable that they are saving lives today. I say probable because you have some things like Tesla Motors has had more than that magic 92 million miles driven. Uh, It's had about 150 miles driven. And it took, in that period, it has had one fatality. Mm. One fatality per 150 million miles is better than one per 90. If it hits 180, you know, it's not how statistics works per se. It would be bad statistics to claim that if it hits 180 million miles, it is twice as safe. But nonetheless, the... Nonetheless, you're going to do it. No, no. But nonetheless, the signs are good for Tesla Mm. that it will eventually start showing to strong values of confidence that it is safer per mile driven. There are still questions. For instance, the big one is actually how much of that is just a function of the miles that Tesla drives being safer. Autopilot tends to be turned on on highways. Highways tend to be safer. Uh, You don't have autopilot turned on when you are driving at 40 miles an hour through back streets. Autopilot won't really drive you through back streets. It doesn't like it. It it can. It doesn't turn off when you leave a highway. But by and large, you will take control there because it won't do it very well. Well, That's a pretty good reason. Yeah, exactly. But so what that means is if if Tesla Motors is 100x million miles are driven on safe roads in safe conditions, you're not really comparing that to the 90 million miles per fatality which is across all types of driving all types of roads including dangerous roads including dangerous conditions so there's an element of uh, do the stats show it but nonetheless there are there are videos posted by tesla owners of the cars avoiding accidents you know there, there are also videos posted by tesla owners of the tesla owners engaging behavior which they wouldn't if they did not think their car well, safety, so there is a question to which it is encouraging dangerous behaviour in a car by people who believe their car is more capable than it actually is, which is another reason for slight doubt as to whether it's making it safer or riskier. But nonetheless, those are those are things which will get better. People will learn to behave in a self-driving car. Self-driving cars will have steadily fewer problems. So I think the, the really roundabout answer to your initial question of how long until it actually has an effect is... You will see the effect first in fatality rates. It will, there will just slowly be drops. It won't have a societal effect at first. The the first effect self-driving cars will have on our lives will be in the data. And it will feel very underwhelming because it will just be someone isn't dead. A few people aren't dead. And then quite a lot of people aren't dead. And then enough people aren't dead to have a slight downward kink in a graph and then enough people aren't dead to have quite a large downward kink in a graph and at some point you know if all goes well it'll be one of those things like the public health revolution that essentially fought smoking that it will just you will look around and you go oh my god actually millions of lives have been saved but there'll never really be a time when it feels like anything has changed which is a bit sad because, you know, the good news stories, you'd like a good, good news story and you'd like a story rather than a drip, drip of deaths not happening. I'm going to push back on this because I think at some point we are going to see self, uh, we are going to see societal effects from self-driving cars. So 
because something that I've heard from quite a few different people at this point is take the American trucking industry, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's you know tens, hundreds of thousands of, of of mostly guys who just their living is driving thousands and thousands of miles, and and you're sleeping in the back of the cab or whatever, and. There are these. There is this whole infrastructure of services built up to serve these guys. There's roadside diners. There's, there's you know gas stations, motels. I mean, this is exactly the kind of driving that self that automation could deal with, right? So an entire industry and all the associated industries with it might die. So these communities, like, it's already hard enough in Ohio, but suddenly we're going to get to a point where there's just no point even having a little town with a motel. So this is the this is why it matters hugely whether or not. Level four or level five automation is achieved. Level five automation, I described it as, you know, you don't need any way for the human to take over. Another way for describing it could be you don't need a human in it. If level five automation is achieved and legalized, and the second one obviously is another huge thing, then yeah, oh my God, that then the societal changes will be huge. But level five automation is one of those things where the difference between... 99.9% 99.9% accuracy and 999 0.29s, 0.39s, 0.49s. Each of those extra nines on the end of that decimal point is almost as hard as getting from 90% to 9% and getting from 0% to 90. You know, this is the way problems like driving evolve. There are edge cases and then there are edge cases to the edge cases. And the question is, at what point, at what accuracy will we as a society be comfortable putting something on the road without a person in it so that's one thing so one thing is level three self-driving tesla style self-driving life-saving style self-driving doesn't need to be that great it has a human as a back as a backup it can handle things like the difficult last mile it can handle weird situations much better because it can just go mate take over that will still change trucking, but it won't change it on a societal scale. Um, it would change trucking by, for instance, de-skilling it, because you would be more comfortable putting someone with less experience on the road. You would be more comfortable uh, telling a driver that oh, when it rains, your job is just to take over and pull to the side and let the car take over. It would, it would change because you might start doing things like pushing back against minimum sleep time, pushing back, you know, these little things. But what it wouldn't do immediately, level three automation in driving, is lose millions of jobs over a very short space of time. Level five would. But level five would change so much more than the trucking industry. I I get what you mean about trucking is particularly suited to total automation because it's it's all on highways, it's all on easy roads. But at the same time, trucks are particularly ill-suited to automation because they are huge difficult to drive they carry far more problems with maneuvering them than a car does based purely on the size of a truck and so that you know there there are reasons to think both ways the thing i think that we'll see as an end stage for trucks is convoying is a big big thing so someone in the front and not just extra trailers behind them but whole trucks behind them following on which allows the human to make decisions about when it's too safe when it's unsafe to drive allows the human to supervise the cargo and allows the human to keep an eye on the non 
self-driving cars in front of them, while the cars behind have all sorts of smart telemetry, you know, you're not going to try and squeeze your car between a self-driving truck and a normal and the lead truck and yeah, that that's not gonna happen, so that could work. And that's what Otto, Uber's self-driving truck subsidiary is going for. But I think by the time we reach that stage, we will also be talking about level five automation hitting cars in general. And so then the trucks will seem like a bit of a quaint thing to be concerned about because far more will change than just the trucking industry. Also, the trucking industry is big, but its size has been overstated. The the, the famous map mm. of the trucking trucker being the most popular job in 48 states is confected. It, it's it's an a artifact of the data in terms of how it lumps different jobs together. So, for instance, retail worker is actually the most common job in the vast majority of those states. It's just retail worker gets separated based on the type of shop, whereas trucker doesn't get separated based on the type of goods. There's a lot of truckers. There are not sort of an emergent popular movement's worth of truckers alone in America yet. I mean, I guess the point I was making was less about the trucking industry itself and more about the communities that mm. support it in these places. Like, this is already a, a major problem we've talked about in other episodes, I think, but the communities that have lost their purpose because there is no steel mill anymore, yeah. there is no longer a mine, and this, this is just a new way that's going to happen and economic activity is going to increasingly sort itself into a relatively small number of big places. So I think, I think that's another way in which trucking will actually be less... Trucking and allied industries will be less affected than you'd think because we're not talking about no one being in the trucks, even in this dream scenario, even in the the level five scenario, because fundamentally just like you have expensive stuff in the back of a truck, <laughs> that stuff needs to be dealt with paperwork needs to be done so it, what, what happens is the same thing happens the same thing will happen as in a lot of other automation it's a de-skilling it's a uh, it has a depressive effect on wages uh, it increases productivity but those trucking communities will still exist it's just rather than serving you know 50 year old grizzled veteran truckers who manage to support a family on it they'll be serving 16 year olds without a high school degree whose job is basically to sleep in a cabin and wake up if someone wanders in front of the road with a shotgun. And so it will have a knock-on effect, but it won't won't be obvious, won't be quick, won't be this thing that everyone's worried about of one day a trucking company ups and fires everyone. And I think, and, and this is the problem, is that that tends not to be how automation works. It does tend to be a statistical thing. It tends to be seen in your wage, you know, in the depressive effect on your wages, in you having a subtly different job which involves more and more supervising the machines and less and less doing the work, just because that's how businesses work as well. Well, if anyone out there has any ideas on how to prevent the rise of the robots, then do write in. So, okay. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Obviously, it's it's election day. We're all excited about that. Um, but we're not going to get the results till, till sometime tomorrow. But I thought it'd be a good time to kind of uh, prepare some hostages to fortune and show quite how rubbish we actually are at this. So I'm joined by my colleagues Stephen Bush and Patrick Maguire, and between us we are going to predict the results of the Metro Mayor elections. Let's start at the top and work down. West Midlands. Labour. Really? Yeah. I'm st- I still think Andy Street might pull it back. I, think... I, d- I just don't see a route there on second preferences for Andy Street. Okay, I, yeah, this is actually something. Um, who are those um, election analysts? Frasher and Railings and Frasher. Railings and Frasher. They put out something predicting that Street will win the first round, but Sean Simon will pull it back on the second, which yeah. is the exact opposite of what I thought might happen. And you know, I'm. I, you know, I, they're, they're, they're election analysts with 30 years experience and I'm a shouty guy on the internet who keeps calling elections wrong but nonetheless and I was surprised by that Raylington Sasha did slightly underestimate Labour in the 2016 locals um, although yeah I mean so my assumption uh, obviously last time I was on your podcast I was not sure uh, what the effect of holding it on the local is I've since checked and actually people get into the kind of voting in a general election mode earlier and on the whole turnout is higher uh, in local elections held in the same year as a general election. Um, but yeah, I think that feels entirely right to me. So, sorry, I've, I've kind of lost track what feels right. Uh, the railings and Thrasher prediction. And, and Andy Street to win the first round, Sean Simon to pull it back on second preferences. Yeah, I, I can't see where the second preferences are are coming uh, for him. It, the conurbation is not ukip enough. Mm. Maybe there will be some well-to-do Lib Demi people who feel... Nervous of the Labour Party. There was also that that thing going around earlier that they've accidentally put up a bunch of signs that say things like "You have one vote, vote for one candidate," which is you know not true. Yeah, I mean the, the one interesting thing is there are obviously two ways to get to half of the vote in uh, in in AV. One is for transfers, the other is for the threshold to lower. 
because there'll always be a, a, a group of people who, whether because they they don't really care about any of the other candidates or because they've been told they only have one vote by a stupid sign, um, will will not vote for a second preference, which can mean that if say in the first round the quota for for fifty percent of the vote is 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 ten, the quota could drop to six. If, if, you know, a lot of people cast one vote. There has not been a great campaign of public awareness about these mayor, mayor, no. these mayor elections. I've been doing my best, but, I mean, not yeah, everyone listens to this podcast. You put one man job. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, let's move on, because we do keep getting sucked into, into sophology and voting systems. Greater Manchester. Burnham. Yeah, it'll be Burnham. All right? day. Yeah. Quite, quite handsomely, I would think. He is quite handsome. <laughs> Sean, Sean Anstey. Actually, you know... Um, Sean Hansey's not handsome. No, no, but I was going to... What's the name of the Lib Dem candidate? Carl Cashman. Is in he, uh, Liverpool. Oh, he's in Liverpool. Yeah. yeah, but he has a massive fan among gay Twitter because it wrecked my mentions for like two hours of just... He's a strapping young lad, isn't yeah. he? But okay, so Manchester Burnham's going to do it. Liverpool, definitely rather unright. Do you mean right? he has no a lot of fans or just a, a fat fan? Because you said a massive fan, <laughs> singular. A lot, of, a lot of guys, right. a lot of gay guys seem quite into him. So, you know... Let's move on. Liverpool. As much as I'd love to say it's uh, Paul Breen of Get the Coppers Off the Jury. Uh, <laughs> is that a real candidate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has declined to uh, provide a manifesto or be interviewed. And he just says, my uh, ballot paper description speaks for itself. Get the coppers off the juries. Well, you're, the, you're the evil MSM now, you see. So. Well, exactly. Yeah. No, Rotherham's going to win that at a canter. And I'm going to stick my neck on the line and say Tony Caldera of the Tories is going to come second because of the... Uh, Blue hue of the outer boroughs. Brave choice, Stephen. Or do you, how how much do you reckon Rotherham's going to win by? Do you reckon they'll do it in the first round? Yeah, uh, and I mean, it, uh, you know, for it to be close for him not to do it in the first round, things would be very, very bad indeed for the Labour Party. Well, they kind of are, so we'll find out. But I also think that Tony Gildare will do it in the second. In the will get second um, because. Yeah, because people will be starting to get into general election mode. And in some ways, the really interesting thing there is what happens in the uh, in Sefton uh, and the Wirral and the other marginal. Oh, Southport, which is, yeah. Which is lived down at the moment, yeah. obviously. OK, West of England. Ooh. Complicated one, this. Mm. OK, shall I give my prediction? Go on. Yeah. I reckon the Tory candidate, whose name is temporarily escaped me will win, win in the first round but I think Stephen Williams of the Liberal Democrats might get over the line on second preferences this is a tricky one I think the Lib Dems will do it on the, on the, in the second round as well I do think the Tories I actually I'm just going to parrot your prediction John I think you're right that's fine we're, we're dressed the same today again as oh. well like we keep that, this fetching it's uh, becoming burgundy awkward. pullover you've yeah. got a kind of sort of floral print Mm. I do. Well, I'm I'm, I'm very colourful. Stephen, West of England. Uh, West of England. I'm going to go for the Lib Dems. I, I think that the Lib Dems will have a great night overall in terms of outperforming their their poll share. I think, you know, Stephen Williams. We know does have some kind of personal following, and I think that my instinct is is that Bath and Bristol will will vote more than anywhere else. Uh, because differential turnout, Canva. yeah, there'll yeah. be differential turnout in the in the conurbation, and that will be good for the Lib Dems. Sure, okay. Cambridgeshire and Peterborough. Which is the candidate who wants to build a tube? Oh, How have I missed this? No, nobody. Does, but the the Lib Dem, 
Uh, I, I've done I've done quick pieces on all of these guys, and I can't remember. It's something Cantrell, I think. The Lib Dem has Blue said that Cantrell. he wants to investigate. No, he he asked the voters for their opinion on this Cambridge Connect project, which is basically an underground light railway for Cambridge. He's not said he'll build it. He just stuck it on his website and said, "I'd like to know what people think of this." I mean, basically, that's what City Metric does. But I know I'm not trying to be mayor. Probably anyway. got a lot of great traffic out of it. Though. Yeah, um, but I mean. It, I'd like to make it clear to your listeners that I know that Luke Cantrell is the name of a rapper, not the Lib Dem candidate. Um, great song, though. You know, the one's like, we need some time to breathe. Please don't. Please don't sing. Okay. But, okay, in terms of the result, it'll be Tory James Palmer, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, I've been, there have been some Lib Dems in the area have been pushing some polling at me, but it didn't look like very good polling. Like, it was like... It never is. I mean, it was <laughs> bits of the constituency, but not all of it, and it was very unclear what the assumptions I mean, were. So, again, the, the interesting thing in this, and I should know this having done a large mega post on what is voting, um, is Cambridgeshire is voting in county councils, an election that people understand and have voted before, etc., etc., and Cambridgeshire is the most Lib Dem-friendly bit of the conurbation. The question then is whether... And also it's the bit where there's, there's more at stake in terms of the other elections on the day. So again, if you have different turnout from Cambridge than you do from Peterborough, maybe the Lib Dems can win it. But equally, I assume that you'll get quite a good turnout out of Peterborough because... It's, it is notionally a marginal. Stuart Jackson works it very hard, and he will want a good result in out of Peterborough in order to for him to feel. Sorry, secure. forgive my ignorance. Stuart Jackson is the, the MP from which Peterborough. Uh, Tory I mean, I think something it's worth noting about something I've spotted as a pattern in in several of these actually is there will be like one serious candidate, who, serious in the kind of quite literal sense that they've actually put together a very thoughtful manifesto. They're talking about how they will use the powers of the mayor. Um, and their rivals are just kind of trolling, for want of a better word. They're just kind of saying eye-catching stuff to get a bit of attention. Yeah, I mean, Tees Valley is literally Parks and Rec. Like, Labour's yeah. candidate is Leslie Nope, and the Tories is Bobby Newport. Yeah, I mean, like, we're going to come on to Tees Valley, but in, in Cambridgeshire, like, the Tory candidate is the one who's put all the effort into coming up with actual policies, which I think suggests that he he thinks he's going to win anyway. But yes, in, in Tees Valley, like, Sue Jeffries... She's quite impressive, actually, like in terms of what she like, she's really put a lot of thought into like what the region's destiny should be, how they're going to grow its economy, what they're going to do about the transport system. And on the other side of the table, there's this Tory, Ben Hoochin, who keeps saying things like, we should sack all the police. We should we should nationalise this airport. And he's clearly just sort of campaigning via headline, which is, you know, it's quite fun, but it, I just don't think he's quite as serious. Yeah, so, no, it does does feel a little bit as if he's perhaps not expecting to win, or at least not campaigning in a... I think Tees... Oh, so, wait, what, what one Tees Valley. It's the last one. We haven't done the predictions. Who's going to win Tees Valley? Labour. Yeah, Labour. I think Tories might win it on the first round again, but they'll lose mm. it in the transfers. Yeah, I mean, the messages I've heard, people were very worried about... Labour people were very worried about that one a couple of weeks ago, but they seem to have calmed down a little bit. I think there are a lot of places... I think actually the general election might help Labour in Tees Valley because it's kind of motivated people to come out against those evil Tories rather than, like, there might almost have been a, a, a thing where they wanted to sort of register a protest vote against Corbyn, maybe? Am I misreading I that? think also people... So what I was hearing is people saying, you know, people aren't sure what it is, they feel they've had to vote an awful lot, and the other guys, you know, the, the Tory vote always... And it is basically true. You, you lower turnout a bit to, say, 30% and the electorate is very remaining. 
you lower it to 15% and it gets very Tory, and then you lower it to 10%, and that is the story of why the first set of police and crime commissioners were significantly more conservative than their electorates would have made you suggest, made you, made you expect. So they were worried about, about that, but yeah, people are, are now getting more into it, um, so I, I, they are. They think that they will be fine there. There was also a thing with a lot of the metro mayorals, and I think a lot of Labour people were sitting at home crunching their their voter ID, going, "Oh God, that number's a bit low." And then and they kind of start to go, oh, "It's really bad." And then they kind of went, "Oh wait a second, transfers. Uh, it doesn't mm. matter if we are trailing the Tories a bit in terms of where we think they are. They have to be trailing. They have to be leading us by loads." Because you saw that in London, right, in 2012 and 2008. Actually, Ken did much better in terms of transfers. He caught, he caught up on the second yeah. end, basically, yeah. You, you, you do have to have quite a big lead uh, in most parts of the country if you're the Tories. I suppose, yeah, it's just like there are a lot of voters on the left who will vote Labour if they have to, but would also quite like to sort of vote for not Labour. So, like, you know, people who would like to vote Green in the first round but still don't want a Tory mayor will yeah. probably go Labour in a second. And there isn't an equivalent of that on the Tory side, really, especially not since UKIP collapsed. OK, one, one, one final prediction. When is Theresa May going to abolish these new mayors? Well, so the election's on 8th June. Uh, she needs to uh, bomb Syria on the 9th of June. Then she'll take the weekend off, maybe do a little <laughs> golfing. Uh, 11th of June. We've got that war with the Dutch. Oh, up as well. yeah. yeah, we're going to fight everyone in Europe. Um, uh, well, you know, this was uh, briefed just after she ascended to the Premiership, wasn't it? That she was planning to... Well, she already put the kibosh on new ones, didn't she? New elected mm. royalties. And that she was planning to curb their powers. So now she's got the and means, was... motive and opportunity to do it then. And somebody in the civil service told me that she came out of a meeting with Sadiq Khan basically saying, how do we get rid of that guy? Um, the civil service had to say, you kind of, you, you can't, you don't want to do that. Um, but I remain concerned that this is a, this is a temporary blip and that they're not going to last. And, you know, we're also, we're probably going to see incredibly low turnout, which is not going to help. Yeah, I think the one variable in all of this, and obviously we, we have discussed this before. So, I mean, I'm glad that, the Tories are not going to win the West Midlands because I'm incredibly tribal. But um, in, a, in an odd way, it would be, you know, if they if they do win um, the kind of Bristol Bath conurbation one, and if they do win, uh, and if the Cambridge and Peterborough guy makes a good fist of it, that kind of protects the others, doesn't it? Yeah, well, um, this is what I interviewed uh, Joe Anderson this week for this week's New Statesman, uh, available on all good news mm. agents. Well, got to plug my own work, John. Um and he said that he, well, he didn't say he hoped Andy Street would win, but he said the only way he could see them sort of growing legs and succeeding was if Theresa May had any incentive to develop powers mm. to the matter. And he said, you know, if Andy Street wins, that becomes a Tory fiefdom, then it becomes much harder to deny uh, devolving proper powers to Burnham, uh, Rotherham, Geoffrey, I think the interest, the interesting question is if they... So basically, between us, we've all predicted a non-insignificant number of Tories losing in the on transfers. I wouldn't be surprised if that does happen, if this is the only time that the Metro Mayors are elected, not under first past Oh, there's a thought. Yeah. Now, that, that sounds plausible, actually. Um, because, 
yeah, this thing is up. It does work against them. It's so, so hard to work out. Yeah, and, and there will be some figure they can point to that, like, you know, only 15% of voters actually use their second preference or something yeah. that will kind of give them a fig leaf. Coalition yeah. of the losers, etc., yeah, yeah. etc. Um, but yeah, I, I think then, yeah, I'm one, I'm an optimist, it's why I'm on the left, um, but uh, I think then the Cambridgeshire mayor hopefully will provide a little bit of of protection for the rest of them. Um, also, the fact that Sadiq is popular, he's not doing... OK, yeah, the radical things Ken was doing was mainly weird things like going gay people, not bad. But Sadiq is, 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 is fighting, is running a very careful mayoralty in terms of not doing things that might get caught, might start a proper fight with, with Downing Street. So, you know, while there's life, there's hope. Fingers crossed. Well... By the time you're listening to this, you'll probably know just how wrong we are. So, anyway, we'll be back next week for some post-match analysis. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.